Welcome back to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. This podcast is a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative, whose founding partners include Youth Next, the University of Virginia's Center to Promote Effective Youth Development, and the Association for Middle-Level Education. You can learn more about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Hello and welcome back to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets of young adolescence in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, I'm excited to announce that the production of our second season is officially underway. Our first episode will be available for listening on your preferred podcast platform Wednesday, October 20th. Season two will be packed with new guests, more lessons, and fresh showcases of research, practice, and advocacy, all focused on young adolescent learning and development. Before we dive into season two, let's listen in on some of what we heard in season one. Um, A lot of people are like, oh my goodness, how could you be a a middle grades educator? That is the worst time ever. And I really think it's the best time ever. They're witty, they're smart, they're funny, they're trying to figure out who they are. And at the same time, students are bridging from, you know, this concrete thinking to abstract thinking. Um, There are so many cool um, learning opportunities that takes place during young adolescence. So it was just a nice bridge between, I think, an age group where, as far as education, you have to be passionate about who they are as youth and help them as individuals, but then also it's a great time to critically think about content as well. That was Lisa Harrison, Associate Professor of Teacher Education at Ohio University. Being passionate about who middle school students are as youth and how we can help them as individuals was a big theme during our discussions last season. For example, I had the opportunity to speak with Kent Pickell, who at the time was the CEO of Search Institute, a nonprofit based in Minneapolis that focuses on relationships as the vehicle to positive youth development. We landed on relationships, that relationships are the most powerful way to build the other assets, like a commitment to learning and positive identity, and that relationships are an asset themselves. They're like the roots of development. When a kid has strong relationships, the roots are deep and they can grow, they can thrive, they can withstand the storms that life throws at them. Many of our conversations last season lifted up relationships as one of the most essential ingredients for positive learning and development, specifically for young adolescents. Here again, Kent Pickell explains why that is the case and what an effective approach to relationship building for youth looks like. We're defining developmental relationships as uh, close connections that develop three things for young people and young adults. First is positive identity. I know and like who I am. The second is agency. I can influence my world. Life doesn't just happen to me. And the third is a connection to community, that I am better when I'm connected to other people. And and also, really importantly, other people are better when they're connected to me. And what we've shown is that there are five key elements of relationships that produce those things. And they are expressing care is number one. Challenging growth is number two. 
Providing support is number three. Sharing power is number four. And number five is expanding possibilities. And and so what we showed is when kids experience relationships with adults in schools, in out-of-school time, in families that are characterized by those five elements, their social-emotional competencies are, are better, their academic outcomes are better, their risk behaviors are lower. And now we're at the pivot point in our work where the question is, can we not just show that relationships, uh, developmental relationships are associated with good outcomes, but can we build practical tools and resources that help schools and programs strengthen the relationships, and then does that improve the outcomes? Elizabeth Santiago shared how mentoring can be a key to establishing and maintaining these developmental relationships. Liz was the chief program officer of Mentor, a Boston-based nonprofit dedicated to advancing the field of mentoring as an approach to support the learning and development of youth. She has since founded her own nonprofit, The Untold Narratives. Here, Liz explains why mentoring can impact young people so much. People just need people in their corner. They need someone who believes in them. They need people who are championing them. So Mentoring is a key component of social and emotional development um, and learning, that human connection, that building of relationships. Those are key things that connect with social and emotional development. Um, A young person walking in and knowing that everyone here knows my name, everyone here sees me, they know when I'm not in school, they know when I'm um, struggling, they know when I'm having a good day, Um, all of those things and uh, I think is a game changer. I would walk back into a building in middle school and I would just say, like, oh, you're back, you know, not looking at the root causes, but more just blaming me for the for the challenges that I was having. And so we uh, work closely with with Kent um, and the Search Institute. Um, We use the developmental relationships framework very often because it's a it's an easily accessible piece of research. So it all connects like our goal is to take that but then extend it and make it be a permanent, <laughs> you know, fixture right. in, a, in a school or in a district. Supporting youth in the middle school years became even more apparent in the past year amid the COVID-19 pandemic. As school went virtual, many students faced challenges both in and out of the classroom, often becoming disengaged with learning. Alyssa Vanaver, Marion Michelle, and Alex Cerner are all leaders of Breakthrough Collaborative, a program dedicated to keeping middle school age students engaged and active in learning after school and during the summer months. Despite the pandemic, Breakthrough was able to pivot in ways that provided middle school students and building educators with consistent programming and support. I mean, it was just a year ago. I mean, we shut down and our program was triaging, like calling families, like, how are you doing? What's going on? I think it, it was possible for us to do this because of the collaborative. Um, we came together and we brainstormed and we set up groups to help develop and figure out how do we, how do we like create this like super amazing in-person program that's like 1000% energy, all about community, all about culture building, all about relationships. Like, how do you convert that online? And, and, and honestly, I, I didn't think it was possible. I was like, there was a lot of like, I had the links to all the rooms. So I was doing like my, if I was in person, it'd be like my spot checks. Let me go in each room and see how it's going. The bottom of the Zoom counter, it tells you like the number of participants. 20 was going to be the number that like, okay, we have full attendance. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's see how this is going. First room, 18. Next room, 20. Next room, 20. Next room, 19. And we kept, I went down the list and we're like, all the kids were there. 
and then attendance actually increased over time. Like kids were, I guess, hearing about Breakthrough Online and were like, we, we need to go at Breakthrough. Our program collected survey data through, we have a partnership with the local university, UC Irvine, and our program through self-reported data from students, our program reduced student loneliness over the course of the summer program. It increased academics of efficacy and it increased their sense of mattering. And so, I mean, we took that and we're like, all right, how do we apply this into the school year program? I also spoke with Alec Lee and Terrence Riley, who work hard to create a space of unity for students seeking community during the pandemic. Alec and Terrence hail from AIM High, an organization that strives to support youth during the summers leading into, during, and transitioning out of the middle school years. It was such a powerful moment and really set the stage for the kind of summer we wanted to create for our kids in 2020. And again, a summer of learning, a summer of openness and belonging and community. That was a huge part of what we tried to create with that week of professional development before kids came through our our virtual doors. And, you know, I will say it's been very validating to see summer learning elevated, but also, you know, literally every article I read about this elevation, it's not describing kind of your father's summer school. It's describing what we've been doing at AIM High for 35 years. So project-based learning, culturally relevant curriculum, reimagining school, great role models, college-going culture, that's what's being described in the kind of summer learning that's needed to, you know, to address this crisis and, you know, the word you use, recovery. Yes. So as Alec mentioned, you rewind a year ago and the pandemic is just hitting. It's being really serious. It's killing and, and making lots of people ill. And that is more acutely felt in black and brown neighborhoods and communities. And then we have the George Floyd murder, along with other racial injustices that have occurred. And, you know, I feel oftentimes, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, middle school students and, and what they face and, and what they deal with is neglected a lot. You know, we want to shine a spotlight on our students. We want to make sure that they are heard and that their experiences are valued. In addition to the pandemic, the most significant and often intense experience many young adolescents had in the past year was a heightened reaction to systemic racism and racial violence and the corresponding response of racial justice activism. People who studied children's responses found that those who had more media exposure tended to express higher levels of symptoms of trauma, for example. Um, These days, because we have um, access to social media, it's really easy to have, you know, for young people to be able to see these things um, through social media um, and viral videos. So whether it was what was happening with the Unite the Right rally or, you know, more recent examples of police violence, young people have access. Um, And many of the young people in our study said that they heard about the the events um, and saw them on the news. That was scholar and researcher Joanna Lee Williams of Rutgers University. She talked about her study of middle school students' reaction to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, that took place in August of 2017. 
And so, you know, you leave a 12 year old or a 13 year old to their own devices to kind of interpret what's going on and you're going to get a really wide range of interpretations. So I think providing some common language and some scaffolding for that meaning making process is really critical. And then recognizing, again, going back to the heterogeneity that for some students, this was a really emotionally sensitive event and there were some ongoing um, needs that they had. So needing to be careful in kind of differentiating supports for those students in, in our study, for example, who were feeling um, these lingering effects of fear and vigilance um, is much different from the students who, you know, had this sense of sadness or sympathy, but they weren't necessarily feeling fearful. We discussed how to frame these complex issues in the classroom and combat racial stereotypes and prejudices that exist within the school system. Coming full circle now, here again is Dr. Lisa Harrison. So looking at what are the social discourses that exist, a lot of it unfortunately is negative. So those cultural deficit perspectives that exist as well. So a lot of those images, a lot of um, what other people believe have um, significant impacts on them. So it's not just only their peers, even though peers are important, but also just different social spheres altogether collectively has an impact on um, how are youth internalizing these messages and images about who they are versus if we engage in, as she mentioned, racial literacy or critical consciousness building with students continuously throughout our curriculum, then they already come, they already have a a form of language to engage and to talk and to unpack some of the things that they're experiencing. But when we don't have that embedded in the curriculum, then we really struggle. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence Season 1 Recap. Season 2 begins on Wednesday, October 20th. Meanwhile, to hear all the conversations highlighted in this recap and to check out our other episodes from Season 1, you can visit the Remaking Middle School website at remakingmiddleschool.org or find episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Lessons in Adolescence is a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School at remakingmiddleschool.org or learn more about the founding partner organizations, the University of Virginia's Youth Next Center on the web at education.virginia.edu slash youth-next, N-E-X, or on Twitter at youth underscore next, and the Association for Middle-Level Education on the web at amle.org or on Twitter at AMLE. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. This episode was edited by Paige Waterhouse. Again, and as always, you can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.